Lale here. This week we're resharing one of our favorite live episodes from 2019, an interview with musical duo Ibei during Pitchfork Festival in Chicago. With music festivals off the table this summer, we hope it transports you just a little. Speak to you next week. I'm Lale Arikoglu. I'm Condé Nast Traveler's senior lifestyle editor and host of the Women Who Travel podcast. I am so excited for this special episode with Pitchfork, especially because we are joined by the musical act Ibei. Hi, guys. Hi, hello. Uh, currently based out of Paris, Lisa and Naomi hit the music scene in 2015 with their blend of hip-hop, electronica, and traditional Yoruba, and have continued to captivate us with their sound ever since. And with that, I'm going to pass the mic over to Verinda Jagota, Pitchfork's associate social media editor, to start things off. Cool. Thank you guys both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for coming. Um, so I wanted to start out by asking you guys about your childhood. So your father was Cuban and your mother is uh, French-Venezuelan. So was travel a big part of your upbringing? Always. Yeah? Always, yeah. And if it's not, if, even if it was not far, it was traveling from parties to parties, concert to concert, home to home. Mm. So we were always every, everywhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and we go couch up. to couch, couch to sleeping couch. to couch when parties were going yeah. on. <laughs> That's, true. Yeah. That's true. And we grew up between La Habana and Paris, and I think that is how we we created our identity and ourselves. Uh, it's through those two cultures, and um, and traveling is a huge part of how we became who we are and how our music became what it is. And so, for those in the audience who might not be that familiar with your upbringing and your background. Um, why were you going to all those parties all the time? Oh. Because at our grandma's, there's always a lot of people, and our mom's too. And our dad was a, one, a really great musician. He was one of the Buena Vista Social Club members. And uh, so he was touring a lot, playing a lot. So we were always the youngest at shows and, you know. Yeah, and our mother, um, I used to do PR for a record label, so she would take us to shows and she would take us to concert of artists that she loved. And so we really grew up being exactly the youngest always in the crowd. And um, also I think our family has a huge, important love for music and uh, for enjoying music, so they would play music all the time. Our memories of happiness in families are always linked to music and to dancing, mm. yeah. Your music is such a beautiful fusion of different genres, and I wonder if that's also tied to the way your, your kind of identity is tied to different places, too. Yes, our music is the mirror of our personalities and of who we are, and we never thought of it, really. You know, it's funny, we, when we started creating eBay and we went to the studio, that's when we realized through doing interviews, oh, our music is really mixed. There's a lot of different influences, but it was so natural to us because we are like that. Mm -hmm. Because we are made of uh, what it means to be Cuban, of what it means to be French, of what it means to be a woman, a mixed race woman. We have a, a white mother and a black dad. And, and so all of that um, influenced our music and our and our way to see art and to create. And so you grew up in Paris. What was your sort of connection to Cuba growing up? Did you travel there a lot, kind of, and how has that evolved over, over time? Um, we grew up mostly in Paris, but we were going to Cuba all the time. We still go. 
So it's like home. We have, you know, house, family, friends. Uh, childhood yeah. friends. Childhood friends. Mm. So it's, it's basically home, yeah. Do you think Cuba and your relationship to Cuba has changed over the years as you've got older and it's, you know, you know, it was once a place where you went as children to see family and be playful and now you go there as adults and has that relationship changed and do you think Cuba has changed? I think Cuba is changing. But our relationship with Cuba hasn't changed Never. a lot. Yeah, I think it was always home. It was always where our family was, a part of our family was. It was always, um, you know, what we used to do when, when we had time out of school. And yeah, let's go to Cuba. Um, maybe the only thing that changed is that growing up, we realized how much Cuba had influenced us. When you're a teenager, you don't really realize that. Um, and then when we started really doing music, we realized how much the Yoruba culture had influenced us um, and how much it was really a huge part of our music. I liked what you mentioned about starting to realize this through interviews too. Do you feel like the interview process helps you kind of realize things that are maybe innate, that are you know, just part of who you are? <laughs> I think, yes, it's funny because, you know, it's, it's, it's really crazy. You make an album and you think that's it. And then you have to explain what you already explained in an album. And sometimes that can be really- I don't really like that. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that can be annoying. I'm like, talk. Yeah. So I'm not gonna be like, it's how was making like, the album? No. Exactly. <laughs> Figure it out by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that can be really annoying, but also, right. if you ask the right questions, mm. If yeah. you really challenged and asked the right questions, sometimes it can be uh, eye-opening and really interesting, and you can realize things that you didn't like get making it because it was unconscious. Right. So the, the album becomes kind of this like living thing of like it's it's growing, it's changing depending on. And that's the wonderful thing about well, music. music changes. Exactly. Music changes. Exactly. That's the wonderful thing about it. We often say our album every night is different when we play in front of an audience, it changes it. And also what happened that day changes it. Just a, a simple example, we were playing the day of uh, the terrorist attack in Paris. Mm. And we had the news five minutes before going on stage. Um, and we could see in the audience while we were playing, some people were getting the news, some people got the news and left. It was a festival. Some people got the news and just stayed out of shock. Some people got the news and wanted to just forget about it. It was really surreal, but we knew, and every single word we sang was different and had a different meaning. Mm. And that's also what is wonderful about music. Mm. The next thing I was gonna ask you is, what places feel like home to you? And this kind of seems like it relates of like, can a stage feel like a home? Can you create these yeah. minuscule feelings of home, large-scale feelings of I home? I think we have a lot of homes. Yeah? Yeah. The tourists is one. Yeah. Uh, the stage is another. And all homes, you know, we don't live in the same place, in the same country, actually, but yeah. When you travel a lot, you have to make your own bubble. Mm. That's why there's an, like a little a story. story. Yeah, when we go to a hotel, we hate the housekeeper. For example, we don't like when she comes and cleans, or he comes and cleans everything. Mm -hmm. We like when it's our own, you know, mess. Mm -hmm. So we always, we hate it. We're like, yeah, we don't need two towels. Let <laughs> us have our own towel. Because it's true, because then if you come back to a 
clean clean room every night it feels like it's not home right. but if you come back to your mess <laughs> you know it's like okay. you don't you don't use like a towel a day in your own home so it, yeah right. like, it feels crazy it feels crazy don't use that much water <laughs> keep it I think we are we are also really fortunate because we travel in family mm -hmm. and that changes everything too I think I would not do it alone. I would not do it without Hell her. No. <laughs> I would hate touring without her. Um, and also that makes it 10 times more difficult too, because then you're with your family 24 hours every <laughs> right. single day. Right. So I think that's why we live in different countries now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we need, we need to breathe. But, but also that makes it so much valuable and, and beautiful and stronger. And uh, Home is where your heart is and where beautiful things happen to you. Home is not where you are born. I mean, it could be, but it doesn't have to be where you're born. It doesn't have to even be where your, uh, your citizenship is. Home is really where you feel like you're attached to. And uh, we could say we went to Benin and we felt at home. We went to Chicago, Atlanta, um, And we felt like oh. home. We felt a link with the people that were there. And that also is the power of music. Yeah. I think a lot to do with that sense of home can also be through language, whether it's through lyrics of a song or through writing or through conversation. And you sing in multiple languages. You speak in English, you speak in French, you speak in Spanish, you sing in Yoruba. Why has that been so important to you? And Was that like a conscious decision or did it sort of naturally evolve as you were creating new sounds? Oh, I, I mean, we grew up talking French and Spanish at the same time. My English, I speak English now, but you can ask all my crew for the first album, I couldn't say a word. <laughs> Lisa had to translate everything I was doing, I was saying, so it was bad. But now, now you know, we speak even in English together because it's just part of it. Um, I What was the question? The, the question was <laughs> if it was conscious. If it was, if it was conscious. It wasn't conscious. It was totally unconscious. It wasn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was totally unconscious. Again, it's the reflection of who we are. And, um, and it's the same. It's really weird. Why, why did we start writing songs at 14 in English? We didn't speak well in English. Our songs were like in bad English. We had to work on our songs and everything. But why? I think it's just unconscious and just because through that time at 14, we discovered Nina Simone and we discovered Ella Fitzgerald and we discovered Amy Winehouse and Adele put out her first record and suddenly we were like, oh my God, all of this music was in our ears. Hip hop a lot. And you hip hop yeah. a lot. And all of that music was in our ears and so that's what came naturally. And because we never thought this would be actually our jobs or our, an album or that it would travel outside of our rooms, We never thought it. We never, we never thought, I know, it can't be in English. It has to be in French or it can't be. That is actually, we're really fortunate um, because we yeah. never judged our music when we started. It was all so natural and it was just for us. So there was not this thing of, I need to put a record that is beautiful. I need to go and like have the best. It was just flowing. And uh, I, I realize now how lucky we are to have had you know, that, truly. Do you find yourself turning to specific languages when you want to express yourself in a certain way? Do they serve different purposes? Yeah, yeah they do. And you, you, you express different things. 
um, and it comes out differently. I think probably one of the reasons why we haven't had a song in French yet is because it's so close, you know? And also writing in French is incredibly Hard. difficult. But it's also so close to us, we almost would feel empty. And perhaps for the first song in French, we would need someone else to write it for us and not, like, I don't know, I, I think, I'm not even sure if that's true, but um, I have a feeling that there's something there. And in Spanish, it's just when we want to have a good time. I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. When we want to make a song that is sensual. <laughs> and yeah, and we want to twerk and... and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love twerking here. We love it. <laughs> good skills, good skills. Good skills to have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And I think English is um, it's a wonderful language to, to write music because it's so direct. Yeah. It's mm. so incredibly direct and I love that. Mm. And at the same time you can write images and they would mean something really specific to each of you. And I don't know, I, I, I absolutely love writing in English. And singing in Yoruba every night is a privilege for us. Mm. And it's something that I couldn't imagine a whole show without a Yoruba song. Like I, it's, it's like a prayer. It's truly for us, it's like truly when we, we dig to our soul and we feel like our ancestors and, um, and our connection to ourselves, to our roots, to our dad, to our land, to, you know, they are all important. That's really interesting what you're saying about feeling like French might be too close or like you, you know, that relationship with, does it feel like singing in all these other languages kind of gives you a sense of freedom in, in terms of your writing process? Yeah, I think it does. I, think, I truly think it does. I think there's, a, there's also, obviously, if I write in French, French people are going to listen to it and, uh, and judge it differently. And I think there's also a fear there. Mm -hmm. I also think... I love working with people. I mean, we don't have any problem saying we work with you know, a crew and we're not the only ones uh, doing everything. Right. I think it's great to you know, share. Mm. So if we need it, we're gonna do it, you know. Oh, you mean collaborating yeah. for a French song? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's that's also the the magic of art is collaborating and getting to bounce out of someone's energy and and getting to feed yourself out of what they offer, and this is wonderful. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your samples. You, you sample sounds and things from all over the world. So you have a Michelle Obama speech, you have a Bulgarian choir, and you have uh, excerpts from Frida Kahlo's uh, diary. So how did you decide on these samples and what do they kind of have in common for you? Well, this album was produced in the studio we, we produced with Richard Russell. He produced both of our albums. Yeah, and uh, we're there with him producing and, and creating together. And he is a genius of the samples because I think he really studied that and it's really something that he loves. And our first album had samples too and this one had samples. And he was like, he, I don't know, he has this, this sense of what song needs a sample. And he was like, I think these songs need a sample. For the Bulgarian voices, that was me because I absolutely love them and listen to them almost every day. And I'm obsessed with their voices, with um, the language, with the harmonies. But for uh, the No Man Is Big Enough For My Arms, he was like, I think we should have a tiny sample of a woman talking to women, maybe a word. 
And we were like, oh my God, what can we find? And Naomi said, well, did you hear that Michelle Obama speech? And I hadn't. Um, and Richard knew about it, and so we listened to it. And from wanting one word, we ended up having a full-on futuring Michelle Obama contract. <laughs> and it was crazy because... Yeah, people were like, oh, she might not say yes. They were know? actually saying they, she would it's never... Gonna be yeah, they were like, it was, you are never going to clear that. You know when your label is like, don't get too attached mm. to that sample. <laughs> <laughs> they were like... But thanks to a really good friend of ours, he asked someone who knows really well the Obamas, and she said yes. And her crew said yes, so we had the sample. And we were so happy. And it's, it's um, so the sample says, the measure of any society is how it treats its women, women and girls. girls. And, uh, and it says also, your story is my story. And it's a piece of uh, her speech after the grab them by the pussy, by Trump. And it felt so important. It felt so important. And actually, no man is big enough for my arms. That sentence is kind of a sample because I read it in this book called um, Widow Basquiat. And in this book, Suzanne, who was one of Basquiat's love. biggest love, writes that when she was seven, a man came back and said to her, one day I'll come back and I'll marry you. And she looked at him and said, no man is big enough for my arms. And she said that at seven. Wow. And when, at seven. <laughs> and when I read that, my, my jaw like left my mouth. I don't know how to say that, but dropped. Exactly. <laughs> it dropped. It dropped. <laughs> and I was like, it's incredible that a young girl would say that. And then I was like, it's incredible that a woman would say that. I know loads of women that would never say that. Of course, they would say if, like, they're dumped by, they the by the boyfriend. They're like, oh, he was not good enough anyways. But they don't really believe in it, you know? It's like, it's, they say that because they're hurt, but actually saying it and believing in it at every moment was incredible. And we thought, okay, we need to believe in it. So we're going to sing it every night. We're going to sing it. No. It's big enough for my arms. And we sing it every night, and it's been amazing. And it's been amazing seeing men singing it. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> every time men are singing in the audience, and straight men, I'm like, yes! <laughs> sing it with us! And it's, it's been really empowering. And it's been really empowering uh, singing it in front of young girls. Mm, yes. There's this beautiful sense of expansiveness to it, of like, just no man is big enough for your arms. Like, you, you are reaching out. And I loved what you said about it being a sample of a woman speaking to other women and this sense of community that that kind of, you know. And it's not against men at, at right. all. No, of course. Right. No, it, it just means I'm enough. Mm. That's what it means. Mm. Because we not. had some interviewers saying, what do you have? Yeah, but there were you men know, saying yeah. that. You men know, they were saying, like, right, they were, what's they were your like, problem with men? We were like, oh, you didn't no. understand at all what we were saying. Yeah. You're like, that's the problem. <laughs> exactly. It's about, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm, I'm truly large and strong. And I'm enough. And, and, and I can count of my, on myself also. Mm. It means that. It means that. And I would say just one last thing. What is amazing about that book, Widow Basque, is that then after that thing that she says at seven years old, she goes through this love 
with Basquiat and she forgets about herself and then realizes she forgot about herself and she forgot to take care of herself and herself first and, and nourish herself because she was so in love with that incredible man. But what it tells you is you can believe in it and lose it. So it's important to always remind yourself that, yeah, that you are enough and that you're worthy. Basically, that's it. You're worthy. I loved what you said about creating those connections with young women and girls, especially. And um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the lullaby you wrote for your niece, who lives in Miami, for her to listen to when you can't actually physically be there and you can't travel there. I'd love to know a little bit about how that came about and kind of why that was so important for you in that moment. Well, we had, I mean, we have an elder sister, but she passed away. So Valerie, it's her daughter. And she lives in Miami, and for us, you know, we made a song for our sister, we made a song for our dad, who both are in heaven. And uh, we wanted to make a song for her, to, for her to know that she would never be alone, and that she would always have, we would always have her, her back. So it was just that, and she lives in Miami, so we FaceTime, but you know, she's six, so she's like, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And right now she loves Frozen, but uh, we hope one day she'll be proud and she'll be like, yes, I have a song. You know, yeah. at school she'll be like, I have a song. It, it's so cool to have a song. You know, it's funny, I, I, we were saying that everybody deserves a song. You know, how wonderful would it be if everybody had a song waiting for them? I dated musicians and I never got a song out of it. And I was like, <laughs> Why have I been dating you? <laughs> Where's my song? <laughs> so yeah, hopefully, hopefully she will be really proud of one yeah. day. Yeah, it's a really, it's really a beautiful song. It's so good. So as a child of immigrants myself, I often think about the limitations of travel and how, you know, you can visit, you can visit the places your family's from, but yeah. there always feels like this gap of, oh, how did my parents experience this? And what was it like 40 years ago for them? For me, I feel like I need to kind of supplement the travel with daily practices. Like I, when I'm not there, I need to eat the food and speak the language and be around other people from those same places. And I wonder if you have a similar experience or if you have kind of daily things you do that remind you of those homes. I think for me, it's, it's the people. No, but also you, I mean, if I understand what you mean is what do you do when you're in, for example, in Paris, when you miss Cuba? Mm. You FaceTime oh, your best face friend. Time. I FaceTime, I listen to reggaeton music. Mm. Every day. <laughs> I twerk. Every day. Uh, uh, I listen to corny songs that they listen there that will never listen, you know, in, in you know, if it was French. I think it's we just... We sing in Yoruba. We sing in Yoruba. I think it's just dance music in France and twerking and, yeah. 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 I think it's music and dance, really. Music and yeah. dance. It's really great. Yeah, I think it's the same for me. Mm. It's the stage, again. It's like, mm. it's going back to that thing that that reminds you of your favorite place. Right, you were talking about how you feel so lucky to be singing in Yoruba every night on stage. Yeah, it's, it's, and also what's been wonderful is now that we traveled the world and we've been really like on the road for like six years um, with a tiny gap in between because we needed to make an album, but really we, <laughs> we, we've, been traveling, yeah, we've been traveling nonstop and everywhere and it's wonderful to see how 
people feel at home with those songs. It kind of hits the center of your soul and everybody, like people that have never heard of Yoruba, don't even place what it means, don't know, um, they are magical. But they are chants, I mean, it's religious. Mm. And they make you travel. It's like singing mm. Ave Maria, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there are prayers. Yeah, there are prayers because right. people think, you know, we wrote those, you know, reverber lyrics. No, it, mm. they're prayers. Mm. Yeah, they're prayers. And people feel that yeah. and travel with them and we travel with them too. Well, I think you can just really hear your heart in it when you listen to your music and it, I think that must, that resonates with people even if they don't know what the words mean. It's, it's just really clear. It's crazy. Like going to China, for example, we went to China. When was it? Like probably a few months ago. And... Uh, Seeing Chinese people react to it, seeing Japanese people, seeing Australian people, German, and of course Latin America and, and America, but everywhere, it's everywhere. Played in Russia and people sing it and it's everywhere. And so, you know, you're traveling the world, playing in all these different countries and exploring the same themes time and time again. And, you know, as we've touched on, you talk a lot about womanhood, you talk a lot about the diaspora, Given our current times and, you know, mentioning Michelle Obama's speech, you know, a few years on, do you feel an urgency to be having those conversations and to be speaking to those crowds? I mean, if you're ready, yeah. But, yeah. you know, you don't have to if you don't feel it. That's what we always said. Like, we were ready to talk about it and talk about it in interviews and all that. If you're not ready and if you don't want to talk about it and just make songs for people to dance, do it. You know, I think you definitely need to be ready because you're going to be asked yeah. about it. And if you don't know how to verbalize it, then it can go really wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and also now being public faces, if we say something wrong, it's like hard. Mm. What comes back at you is really hard, so you really need to be prepared for it. But I think there definitely was an urgency. Our first album was about our family and, and about um, celebrating them and the ones that passed away and the ones that are alive. And we wanted really, like it was so personal and, and, and also we had been writing that album from 14 to 18, so it's like a long time. But then we started traveling the world and we started meeting people and hearing people's stories and realizing in what condition the world was and we became really sad, at least I did, about the state of the world and the stories I was listening to. And then we realized that by us making an album and talking about it, we felt a little bit better. By us really singing about it and sharing that with everybody, it kind of, you know, singing kind of make you feel like a superhero, you know, and kind of gives you back like that strength and that power. And, uh, and that's why we did it, because we needed them. Mm. You know, it's, they, were, they are our anthem first. We needed to sing them and regain that power. And then when we realized it was touching other people and it became other people's anthem, and that is the best gift a musician could ever have, but definitely there was, the, I mean, it's crazy. Have you seen the news lately? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. It's, it's yeah. like, I can't, I, with this, with, with the send them back, like I, how, it's, it's how dumb, mm. you know what I mean? It's like, and also what I realize is, um, how history repeats itself and no one seems to realize, I mean, we realize, but uh, up there, mm. no one seems to realize it because probably they don't care and they are in their little bubble, but um, it's important that we don't. 
Mm. It's important that we don't. I liked what you were saying about these being your anthems first and a way to remind yourself of how to feel good. And that ties to what you were saying about uh, no man is big enough for my arms too. And I just, I really like the way you said, like sometimes you can have this anthem or you can have this feminist idea and sometimes you can lose it. And then there are ways to remind yourself again. And I thought that was really beautiful. And you can, you can sing this song and you can be like, no, I, I am enough. I think there's this like idea and kind of in like contemporary feminism that we have to be strong all the time and we have to, you know, a strong woman is always strong, but there's actually a lot of room for vulnerability and a way to find yourself back, find your way back to these, these ideas. Yeah. And it's like saying a man is, if, if we start thinking like that, then it will be patriarchy again. A man is always strong and never needs to cry. No, our emotions are important. Our vulnerabilities are what makes us, you know, good people right. and us expressing them and 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 talking about them and Share. sharing Share. is important and what an impossible standard to set for yourself if you're going to be strong the entire time <laughs> yeah. i mean no one can do that we'd all be unhappy right. Right. i think it will be boring <laughs> <Yeah>. very boring <laughs> yeah. i think what is just beautiful is to feel that spark it's to feel that moment where you feel like you're on top of the world and you're just pure like fire and energy and joy. And I think, again, singing makes you feel like that. And even if you had a shitty day, the whole way to, you know, the stage, when you're on stage and that energy we exchange with people, that makes us feel like that. And actually, that's why we make the audience sing every night. Because we want you to feel what, how we feel. And we make them scream we are deathless. We make them like scream until they have no voice, until they truly feel it for a second. Because that's the best gift we can give to you. It's like for a second, forget about your day's problems, about your boss that is an asshole, about your family problems, about the money problems. And just for a second, get into yourself and feel that energy and that fire you have and that strength you have but also looking everywhere around you and seeing everybody having the same thing and feeling like a unit. And everybody that's different. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. People that you wouldn't see normally. People that you don't socialize with and seeing that we all like need to experience that. Right, and it sounds like you have this similar reaction from the audience regardless of place. Like you're saying, all over the world, this is kind of the... We do. Yeah. And that's why we don't really understand what is happening to the world is because we see how people react. We even just take America. We see we are a really mixed audience in age, in sexual orientation, in color of skin, in in uh, backgrounds. When we are all together in a room singing and being there and just sharing energy, it works. And it doesn't really matter who you have next to you. It's just you're together and for a moment you're at peace and you're all singing the same thing. And I don't understand how it can't work outside. How we can't, you know, communicate or like give each other that same energy. And I think we have time for one last question. Um, so just bouncing off, you know, that universality of making that connection with the audience and of music around the world. Have there been any places you've traveled to that have truly surprised you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we love the States. Chicago, Atlanta, St. Louis, Washington, 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 D.C., New York. We love everywhere, but those ones, 
y'all crazy. <laughs> and we love craziness. So yeah, that was, uh, it, it's amazing. Brazil, woo, Brazil, <laughs> over the top. That, no, Brazil is the best crowd ever. If you feel bad, if you know sometimes you're like, because it's kind of hard also, you know, like it's not every day, woo, it's, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes. And when you go there, you know what you're doing, what you do. And it's important to have those places and moments where it reminds you what, what you're doing is good and it's okay and it's great for you and it's great for people. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's so good, those, those places are so good, is because they take that power. The audience there take that power. They demand you to give them what they need. And that's what we need when you're an artist in front of people. I mean, it's, yeah. they like, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you could be here and I could be watching you. You are more the show than I am. You know what I mean? It's like there's this mirror thing where you really feel like people in the audience have that and demand you to give your all. And that's why the shows are so fantastic. Yeah, because we don't do the whole show. The crowd does it. But in some places, people don't really understand that. We give, but when you give back, we give more. And when you give more, we give more. And when we give more, we give more. It's like that. It's, it's you know, it's that kind of relationship. It's like, you know, it's sharing. So it's, sometimes you get to a point where it's like heaven. Yeah. Well, I think that is a magical note to end on. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. Everyone, you can find this episode and all our other Women Who Travel episodes on iTunes, Spotify, all the other places that you listen to your podcasts. And where can people find you on the internet? Everywhere. <laughs> As it should be. Um, eBay, I-B-E-Y-I. That's the name of our band. It means twins in Yoruba, because we're, we're twins. twins. Exactly. And Verinda, where can everyone find you? My Twitter handle is just my first and last name, Verinda Jagoda. And you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hannah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.